Hello, this is the Ether Podcast. My name is Rodrigo. And this is Ryan. And uh, today we're continuing our series on the book of Mark. We are on Mark 4, verses 35 through chapter 5, verse 43. And uh, our video that we shot this week is about the miracles that Jesus performs in this passage and how they show his sovereignty. But for this podcast, we are going to talk about fear. And specifically, that's right, specifically in two of the uh, miracles that Jesus performs, people's reaction to him is to be fearful. And it's fearful in a way of the fear of God, because by performing these miracles, Jesus is showing his God side, if you will, and people's reaction is to be afraid. And I want to begin by saying this, I feel like we don't talk about the fear of God enough. I think it's one of those things that we're uncomfortable talking about. It's one of those things that we don't necessarily like talking about. But, and I want to open up by reading the scripture here. This is in Deuteronomy 6, in verse 20. It says, when your son asks, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord shows signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers, and the Lord commanded us to do all these statues to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might persevere, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And so if you read this scripture and many others having to do with the fear of God, Fearing God is an essential part of our relationship with God. It's an essential part of us obeying Him. It's an essential part of us being with Him. It's an essential part of us pleasing Him. And again, we don't talk about it enough. And so we are going to try to cover a little bit of the fear of God in this podcast. So the first thing that I want to do is, is play a little devil's advocate. Because the first guy that comes to my mind is Jonathan Edwards. Lived back in Puritan, Massachusetts, <laughs> and is known for oh, his... Puritans. We love the Puritans. The pure Puritans. That's right. <laughs> but uh, known best for his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Right. And I think that you and I and most people look back at that time as uh, deluded and uh, confused religion that all it did was put people into this this state of fearful obedience. And you end up developing a society that spawns things like the Scarlet Letter, where people are ostracized for their sins. Right. Or the Salem Witch Trials, um, when women acted in a way that was unconventional. And so... If he's talking about fear and this fire and brimstone, why is it? Why are you saying that it's central to our faith? Well, well, let me back up a second because I think um, I think where this conversation falls under the realm of 
is really being able to preach the whole Bible. And I think there's an element of fearing God uh, that is, in a sense, natural, if you will. For one, God demands that we fear him. He wants to be feared. And I don't think it's fear as in like terror per se, but it's fear that comes from an understanding of where we stand in reference to him. He is so much greater. He is so much bigger, so much more knowledgeable that his presence, and it's interesting because even every single account that we have of people coming into contact with God, they are terrified. Right. And that's sort of what happens in Mark 4. Jesus was preaching and doing all these uh, miracles and stuff, and then he tells his guys, like, hey, let's go. They get on this boat. There's a huge storm. His disciples are afraid, and they wake him up, and he's like, what do you have to worry about? I got it. And he says that he rebukes the storm. Like he was yelling, he was yelling at the wind. And then the storm stops and they're amazed. And it says that they were in fear. And the Greek word for that's used there in fear is the fear that people have when they encounter something supernatural. And so the fear that we're supposed to have of God is that, again, I think that comes from perspective that God is so much greater than us. If we understand our relationship that we have in reference to God, I think it's a very natural position to take to fear Him. Yeah, yeah. Um, the The idea of fear definitely runs through the entire Bible, and it's interesting to see the different stages of man's relationship with God. That on page two of the Bible, you have God creating man and so they are together and they are talking, but there isn't sin yet, that man hasn't made that choice to define good and evil for himself. And so you have God and man in this perfect relationship. And the first thing that God does is he blesses him, which is this idea of offering perfect hope and abundance and wanting to uh, see the, the, the other person's life grow into something incredible. And God says, I bless you. That's the first thing that God does with man. After Adam makes the choice to define good and evil for himself, there's that separation that occurs. And every time after that, even with Adam himself, there's this fear that after he takes the apple or takes the fruit of the garden and God shows up again, all of a sudden, Adam's response is no, no longer, this is my friend, this is my father, it's, right. I got to get out of here, I'm going to hide, right. I'm embarrassed, I'm scared, I don't know what his response is going to be, I don't know how to define our relationship anymore. And then you see it a number of times throughout the Bible, whether it's Moses in the burning bush, whether it's Isaiah in the temple, whether it's what we're reading and talking about with Mark 4, or whether it's... Um, the reaction of Paul uh, where he he saw God or saw a bright light or something and he fell off his horse and couldn't see for three days or all the way into Revelation where 
you have this epic battle and you have this very terrifying picture that's painted of Jesus, oh, of Jesus, him right. coming out and he's, there's blood dripping from his, his robes and he's uh, got a sword that's been drawn and there's fire in his eyes and everything. And it is a very fearful picture that runs throughout the entire Bible. I was reading that passage you were talking about in Genesis this morning and it made me think of my children because I think there's, there is a fearlessness that comes with innocence. Mm-hmm. One of the hardest things, and the only reason I was thinking about this is because me and my wife recently traveled to Arizona and our kids were with us. And as we're walking through the airport and all this stuff, our kids are just like literally lollygagging, man. Like they're not paying attention to anything. <laughs> you know, they're getting behind us. And right. all of a sudden it's kind of like you walk, you're walking as a parent and all of a sudden you don't see your kids and you turn around and you go like, come on. And it was the hardest thing for them to understand that there was an element of danger sure. in us being in this public place and them not doing what we asked them to do. Right. Once everything was done and everything, like I had to sit down with them and tell them, like, listen, these social, these big social places like airports and train stations and all these public places that we can go, they can be dangerous. And yeah. when I told them that, they looked at me almost bewildered, like, you know, how is this dangerous? And I think there is there is a fearlessness that comes with innocence. Like, I think once you realize certain things, you become very fear. You should become fearful of them. Yeah. And, and again, I think there's, there's something in our culture, uh, especially like growing up in the 90s. I don't know if the, the brand exists anymore. But there was a brand called No Fear, mm. and they always showed like people hanging from cliffs and you know skydiving and all this other stuff. Those shirts and, were huge. Yes, when I was in high school. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so, sort of like I grew up with this idea of like you know fear is a bad thing and you shouldn't have it and all this stuff. And I think there, by and large, we see fear as a negative thing. But I think when it comes to us and God, it's a very positive thing. Yeah. And probably the best way I can sort of like liken it, and I think one of the moments that I sort of look back in my life and I sort of tied this whole idea together is something that happened when I was in my teenage years. Uh, when I was in my, when I was 14, 15, I lived in South Africa for a few years. And one of the things that South Africa is very known for is their game parks. Like you take your car to this place and you drive around and you see wild animals and there's, you know, all these warnings that you're supposed to drive with your windows closed and all this stuff. So it was me and my family, and we're in our car. And at some point, I don't you're know how. You're in your how. own car? Yeah, you're in your own car. That sounds safe. Yes. <laughs> so we're in this little Toyota Corolla, and I'm not sure how, but my dad took the wrong turn, and we were going down a path that we weren't supposed to go down. What was cool, though, is that this was so secluded, right, and there was nobody around, that at some point, for whatever reason, we felt it was safe. And this is the one thing that they tell you not to do. They fe- we felt it was safe to get out of the car. And we got out of the car to sort of find our way again. Where we stopped to get out of our car, we hadn't noticed when we stopped. But like about 60 yards or 70 yards or maybe 100, I don't know. It was close enough. There's this big herd of buffalo. Water, water. buffalo. Yeah. And it was 
awesome, man. Like to be that close to like these big animals and it was this big pack of them and it was that moment of, man, like this is really cool. And then one of the things that they tell you when, especially when, you, when you're around a lot of these big pack animals is not to stand uh, downwind from them because they can smell you and then they sort of get alarmed. And so at some point a breeze blows and it's blowing the direction where we're standing in the wrong place is all I'm saying. So all of a sudden, as we're watching this pack of buffalo, they sort of stomp and they all look up in our direction. And it's that moment of what am I going to do? And it was this combination of like, man, like these animals are majestic and they're awesome, but they can also trample me to death. Ryan, these things can run <laughs> 30 miles an hour. They are as fast as Usain Bolt in his prime. Again, it was this moment of like, Man, like, for as cool as this is, I could also die. At least as fast as a Toyota Corolla could go. Yes, especially <laughs> in, like, a little dirt road that there's not supposed to be on. When I was, uh, oh, I must have been 14, my dad, for some reason, decided that he wanted to take up sailing. He'd never gone sailing before, but for some reason, and my dad is an amazing guy who kind of goes through these um, uh, phases of life where he picks up a hobby and just completely dedicates himself to it. And from what I hear my mom say, he's in the midst of his his uh, his cake phase. <laughs> he's just making cakes? He's making cakes, and so he goes to like his men's groups and stuff and brings cakes <laughs> with them. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but um, when I was 14, he decided, I want to learn to sail. So I grew up, and we were kind of a lake vacation family. You got your beach families, and you got your lake families, and we were a lake family. And so we bought this 14-foot little sailboat, and we went up to Charlevoix, Michigan, which is up at the very, very top of it, and it's got this little lake, Lake Charlevoix. And um, my dad had been reading books about how to, how to sail this little boat. And so we kind of got behind it, and we were trying it out and sailing. And I remember a couple of times when we were on the shore, right before we'd get on the boat, my dad would remind us, look, we're getting on the boat. Everybody needs their life jackets. This is serious. Right. And so you get out and you're all safe. But I remember a couple of times that the water was very placid, that the wind was very, very, very low. And it's the kind of thing where you, you start wondering, are we actually going to get home? Like if this wind doesn't pick up, are we <laughs> going to be out here forever? And you start taking off your, your, uh, your life jackets because there's this feeling of, I'm completely safe. And my family, we've had pools in our house and, and we've grown up great swimmers. And so there's that added sense of immortality and invincibility. I can handle this. Uh, this is just like the deep end of the pool. It's no big deal. And so we took it very easy. Well, one day on vacation... Uh, it was a, the weather was kind of coming in, and the waves were out on the lake, and my dad wanted to go out, and my mom was like, "You're ridiculous for wanting to go out." And he said, "No, I got to do it every single day so that I get better at it." And so he invites me to go with him, and even in the summer in Michigan, it's freezing cold, and so I had long sleeve sweatshirt or something on, jeans and like hiking boots, and uh, we went out. And as soon as we were out in the boat, 
we were like in the middle of the lake. I mean, the wind was so strong and we were just like a bullet out across the water. And the waves were pretty high and rocky and we're kind of jumping over them. And my dad starts getting a little nervous and he decides, let's go back in. Right. And so he takes a right turn. And so he's now running perpendicular or parallel to the shore. So we sail out perpendicular to the shore. Now we're parallel to the shore and the wind hits us at the right time as a wave hits us and just tips us right over and flips us over and throws us out of the boat. And so we're in the middle of this lake having been thrown out. And um, the way that the boat was shaped is is it kind of goes down in the middle where your feet go. And I came up under the boat in that spot. So there's like a little air pocket, but I'm now under the boat in the middle of this lake wearing heavy clothing, including boat uh, boots. boots. And um, I managed to get out and, and away from the boat a little bit. And my dad was holding on to the side of it and he helped me get up on the bottom of the boat. So the boat's now upside down and you're sitting on the bottom of the boat and you're freezing and your clothes weigh a ton. And we started thinking, what have we gotten ourselves into? And it's in that moment right before it actually flips and you're up on the wave and it's leaning over and my dad says a regrettable word that he it immediately clicks we're in a bad spot here um and you realize man this is a very different scenario i'm in the same situation that i was a day ago when i had my life jacket off and the water was completely still and now all of a sudden i'm getting thrown out of the boat i'm I can swim, but at the same time, I've never swam with heavy hiking boots on before. Um, and I'm out in the middle of this lake. I don't even see the house that we're staying in and not really sure what is going to happen next. And it's it's a very scary thing. That I think that's probably the time that I was most fearful. And usually when we get scared, we're scared for our lives. I right. Think, yeah. I, th- I think that that's when we all of a sudden things kind of zero in, and, and that's the moment that you're scared. Um, but I, that definitely brought it into perspective, and especially with the verses that we're reading for this week about Jesus being in the ship and the boat being tossed back and forth, and Jesus being asleep down in the bottom. Right. And you've got these hardened guys, these guys who have grown up on the water, and and as Jesus is inviting the guys to be his disciples, it says that they're out there with their dad, meaning that their dad had done this, probably grandpa had done this, and great-grandpa. Well, it's a multi-generational Absolutely. Thing. Yeah. And so they'd grown up being on the water, being in the waves, and for these guys to now be freaking out and thinking, this thing is going down, and Jesus is knocked out. And I'm not a guy who likes to fly, but that's another thing that I kind of connect to is this, this feeling of, you know, the air masks dropping from the ceiling of the right. plane and, and the, the sirens going off and, and you start freaking out and people are screaming and I don't know what's going <laughs> to happen. Um, but uh, those are the, the things that I connected to and I felt, oh man, this is scary stuff. And that's the fear that when I think of fear that I initially kind of connected to. There is a place and time in which, in which we should be fearful, which is when things are much greater than us. The ocean, a storm, 
you know, when you're up in the air and something bad happens. I think one of the things that I automatically go to is like, I don't belong here. Yeah. And I think, you know, with Jesus is this moment of like, here's this huge storm, which is already scary. And here's this man that just comes it down, basically rebuking and saying like, hey, you shall cease. This, here's this awesome storm that things that these people think they're going to die. And then here's this man that says, I'm going to stop the storm. And it's kind of like, man, like this guy's greater than the storm. And it's, I think, you know, so many times I've heard this passage being preached and everybody gets on the disciples for being afraid. You would be afraid too, man. Oh, like, absolutely. What, what are you talking about? What else do you want them to do? <laughs> yeah, like uh, that's a very natural reaction. You absolutely. Know I mean? and, and I think even their reaction of seeing Jesus do this is a very natural one. One moment you fear for your life and the other maybe you should be excited because now you're safe, but they're not. They're like double afraid. Here's this guy that stopped storm. This is completely beyond me. And right before the storm, storm calmed, when he's like yelling at the wind and the waves, you know that they were like still tossing buckets of water over and looking at him and going, oh, this doing? guy's nuts. <laughs> oh man, this is the one that we're following. And probably got a little more scared to say we were hoping that he was going to save us and now he's just yelling at the wind and the waves and then to see it actually work and going oh man this guy just defies any sort of categorization in my mind that i have no way to classify what i've just seen right and the only word that the authors can think of is is fear i mean i'm sure that there is fear elation sadness maybe not sadness but but joy and bewilderment but it all comes back to this sense of who is this guy i thought i was following a regular dude but right. this is clearly no regular dude no and you see it in the passage after that you know in which, which they go to this region uh that's not in Israel, and he heals this man that, you know, was in a cemetery and all this other stuff, and he drives out this legion of demons, and they go into some pigs, and the pigs go into the sea, and people, again, they're afraid. And again, I think it's because of the magnitude of the act. It's not that Jesus is scary, per se, but he's doing these great things that are scary in the presence of this degree of awesomeness in the presence of a man who drives a legion of demons out that is so much beyond me. I don't understand this, but my natural reaction is to, is to be afraid. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got to think that as people were trying to wrestle with this idea or the question of who is Jesus, is he the Messiah? And as they're trying to figure out yes and no, stories like this keep coming back, and they're just having the hardest time reconciling what I've grown up with understanding the Messiah to be. I, There are times when I think, yeah, this Jesus could be the Messiah, but then he's doing this other stuff that is blowing my mind, and I have no idea what to do with it. And you have to feel that they're they're just looking at Jesus the whole time going, I, I've got no, this is so far out of my understanding. I don't know what to do with him. But he, he's definitely a guy that demands 
you to come up with some sort of opinion about him. Right. Up until now, probably his disciples and the crowds and all this stuff, they're going, this is an amazing man. But all of a sudden, he's doing things that belong to the realm of God. And I think as people are beginning to observe these things, the natural conclusion or where a Jewish person would go is like, man, this thing, this guy is doing the things of God. I think that would be very scary. You know what I mean? I think, especially in their context, in their culture, in which the, the God that they've known is, is partly a very terrifying one. You know, God being in Mount Sinai and being so terrifying that, you know, the people tell Moses, like, you go talk to him. Right. We don't want to hear him. Terrifying moments in which God sort of presents himself. And again, they're arriving to a conclusion. It was like, man, this, this guy's doing God-like things. And it's scary. Yeah, absolutely. You've got two young kids and I've got two young kids. And we're both in the place where we're trying to figure out how are we going to teach our kids about Jesus? And how are we going to help them build that foundation so that one day they become uh, lovers of God, believers, faithful disciples. And obviously it comes with the stories of who Jesus is. And one of the hard things that I still wrestle with are knowing the stories that I was told as a young child. I've heard so many times about Jesus walking on the water or calming the wind and the waves of the storm and I almost think that if I hear it too much, it dilutes the, the awesomeness sometimes. And I have to really work to get my, my brain back into that understanding of, all right, stop, forget what you know. The dude walked on water. water. <laughs> I'm not impressed by the that. The dude anyway, right? <laughs> walked on water. No, uh, but uh, you know, it, it even going back, and I think I've, I've talked about this before in other videos, in other podcasts, I think even our portrayals of Jesus are never a fearful one. One of the things that we keep coming back to again and again as we're doing this series is, hey, Jesus wasn't who people thought he was going to be back in his time. But Jesus isn't who we at times think he is. Yeah. It has to start with that healthy understanding of who God is. Before I, I think about who we are together or what he's even done for me, I have, to, I have to be able to frame my understanding of God appropriately and be able to put him into some kind of understanding. I, th I think he definitely is beyond categorization in a lot of ways. But I have to at least begin to, to scratch at that, that category and realize who God is. And even before the cross, because the cross is amazing and absolutely glorious and the center of our faith. But until we have a clear understanding of who God is, the cross does not have its power. Right. Because we have to understand first who God is. Then we have to understand who we are. And then when we understand those two things clearly, then we, when we put the cross in the middle of it, we go, wow, that's love. And that's when we can sing those songs and focus on how loving God is. Only when we have that clear, proper understanding of who God really is and who I am 
in comparison? There's several scriptures. There wasn't. There's what there is one in Proverbs, and there's also one in uh, one of the Psalms that talks about how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and even from an Old Testament perspective, how the fear of God is sort of the starting point. One of one of the things that concerns me the most as somebody who tries to present the Bible to people is is the question of am I presenting a holistic picture of who God is? Am I presenting all of Him? And yes, the the love of God I think is a very relatable part of God, and the fact that He comes and He comforts us and He takes care of us and He's our shepherd and all this other stuff. Yes, all of that stuff. But I think. There is a great amount of words and phrases and time dedicated to the fear of God in the Bible, and we can't we can't ignore that. I was reading in Proverbs two the when we started talking about the topic of let's talk about fear. The verse that came to my mind is in Proverbs two, and in verse one it says. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. And as we read this, it's it's poetry. Right. And so the way that Hebraic poetry works is, is the first line of the poem presents an idea, and the second line repeats the same idea in different words. So, for example, um, I might say, on Monday... My friend and I went to the store. It's one idea. And then the second line might be, together we walked to the market earlier this week. It says the exact same thing in a different way, kind of reframing it. And so the two lines, they, they describe the same idea, and the second line complements that, that first line by either expanding on the idea or clarifying what it says. So if we go back and, and we look at verse 1, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you. So there's this I the first part is if you accept my words. So there's the possibility that that means something along the lines of, you know, if you accept my words, you know, you allow me to have and, and state my opinion. That could be a way that you could look at it. This is my opinion and this is where I'm getting to. But the second line clarifies what that first line is saying. And in that second line, it's talking about storing up my commands within you. And so it's more than simply allowing someone to say their piece. That it's, it's this giving importance to what, what the person is saying. And so if you care at all for what I have to say, I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to know and what you need to hear. And so by reading the two lines together, we have, we have a better understanding of what the author was saying than if we read just one line right. in isolation. And so we can see the same thing happen in, in the other verses. So what we see is that in verses 1 through 4, what they're saying is that if you are really trying truly to find wisdom, if it's the absolute most important thing to you, then in verse 5, 
then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Right. And so this idea of the fear of God is the same thing as knowledge of God. And so you get these two ideas kind of working together of, okay, fearing God and knowledge of God. And then he kind of digs into it a little bit more, and we're going to look at some other verses right. about this. But but this idea of fearing God is a good thing, that this is the first step to knowing God is you have to have this fear of God. And I think one of the mistakes that we make is to think that this sort of concept only exists in the Old Testament, but it exists in the New Testament too, and I want to show you a couple of instances of this. This is in a... This is in 2 Corinthians 5, and um, I'll start in verse 6. It says, uh, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, others, but we are, we are, but what we are is known to God, and I hope that it is known also to you and to your conscience. And so there's a couple of things here. One of them is that ultimately, what, what is it that we have to fear from God? What we have to fear from God is his judgment. The judgment of God, or to fall on the wrong side of his judgment, is never a good thing. And so even Paul is reminding here, people here, is like, hey, whether we are basically in heaven away from the body or we're here, we try our best because we understand that no matter, what, what, no matter where we are, we are ultimately going to be subject to his judgment. And... And even he goes further, says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Him knowing the fear of God is one of the things that fuels his evangelism. So much of what I want to do in my life, I think, is, is based off, like, like when I think about my wife or my daughters, is based off of their love for me. And so it's, it, it, it's a little foreign to think about fear as a healthy driver of my actions um, because one thing that I don't want to get myself into is I don't want to allow my actions to be the result of fear and fearing judgment in the way that I'm only doing this because you're going to judge me. Um, because then what I start doing is I start trying to earn my salvation. And I know that I can't earn my salvation. And I know that I can't work hard enough for God to ever go, you did it. Okay, I'm not angry with you. Because God is love. I have to keep coming back and I have to say, all right, God is love. God is love, that he is the personification of love. He's not the personification of anger. And so I have to keep that as, as the root of what I know about God. But at the same time, I have to be able to understand 
who he is. That when I work and engage and deal and discipline with my daughters, I want them to know that above and beyond anything, I love them with everything that I have. And yet at the same time, I want them to fear me because as a man, as an adult, I do know what's best for them, or at least better for them than they know for themselves. And so I'm going to try and guide them because I love them. I'm going to guide them to good things. And if they keep fighting me, then they're going to hurt themselves. They're going to run into to pain physically, emotionally, mentally, that if they would just understand who I am and listen to me and fear that I may spank you or discipline you or whatever, that that's going to help lead them down a, a right path. And that I think that there's that, a major element of trust and believing that I do love them and want the best for them. And so I'm kind of working through this whole thing in my mind even as I'm talking and kind of spitballing things. But I think that's the most helpful way for me to look at it. The challenge um, is that we see a lot of, uh, we see an an antithesis in fear and love in that love is supposed to draw people towards you and fear sort of repels them, drives them away. And I think one of the things that, that we generally wrestle with is both this idea that we have to love God and we also have to fear him. And how can we do both if one is supposed to take us in his direction and the other one is supposed to sort of make us keep a distance from him. And I think, um, to me, one of the one of the best ways to reconcile all that, and I think it is tricky, and I don't think that there is an answer to this, and I think this is, this very much falls on the realm of like, yes, how to, like I need to fear God, but what does that necessarily look like in my life? And I think um, it is very much. One that we that we are departing from probably for many of us a very unhealthy reference point with our parents. In that, for example, I grew up with a a mom who I could times be very scary, very mean, very violent, very um scary man. Like it was like I did fear my mom and, and at times for good reason. And at the same time she was super loving and super caring. And there came a point in my life in which I was really like, how do I marry these two? My reference point of those two things is somewhat dysfunctional. But I think one of the one of the good things is that God is perfect. Our fear for him and our love for him aren't necessarily dysfunctional. I think, part, again, part of the reason why we ought to fear God is because he's so much greater than us. And there's certainly this element of fear... That has very much to do with he knows better, he's greater, and yes, I should totally fear him. And also this element of, man, like he cares about me. 
And I think one of the one of the difficult things is, for example, again, going back to the way I grew up, at times, if you will, my mom's wrath seemed totally unjustified. It came out of impatience and it came out of anger. And, it, and so it was really sort of difficult to deal with that. But even biblically speaking, by the time God gets to a point in which his judgment comes down on people and he's been, it doesn't come from a place of just... It's not a knee-jerk reaction. No, it's not. And even yeah. when you look at, you know, the, the you know, and we've talked about before, like the northern, uh, northern Israel falling and then Judah falling and all this stuff. And God sent plenty of warnings and he sent plenty of justification and he said, like, hey, this is going to happen. And he said, look. But even then, like, even even the fact that within the tragedy of Israel falling apart, there's sort of this promise of restoration and this promise of this will never fall again. There is love here. Like, this is, this is just discipline. And I think that's the, I think now that I'm thinking about it, I think that's part, that's part of it is, where we can be confident in fearing God is that he's not just a vengeful punishing God. Like you were saying, even when he does quote unquote punish us or make us go through something that's hard, he's doing it to bring us back to love. But I think even to come to that place, I feel like even me personally, there's so much baggage I have to get rid of because all my reference points for those two things existing in the same place aren't healthy. Yeah. And somehow I have to look at God and be, no, this makes sense. Yeah. I heard a very interesting analogy about the way that God deals punishment to us and that it's, it's not necessarily punishment, but it's consequence. Logical, expected consequence for our actions. And the analogy that this person drew was thinking about a fish swimming around in a lake. And the fish dad says, look, you live in the lake. You live in the water. And yeah, you can jump out of the water from time to time, but don't do it. And the fish can obey dad. Or he can say, you know what? I don't fear jumping out of the water. And when he jumps out of the water, he lands on the pier and he's there in the sun and he's wriggling and he doesn't have any water. And it's not that he was punished. It was natural consequence that if, if the, the fish dad were to say to the fish child, look, there's this, this dry thing that's out there that you're going to land on and you're not going to be able to breathe and it's going to it would have fallen on deaf ears. He wouldn't have understood it. But at the end of the day, he didn't have that healthy fear of what was taught to him and what was said to him. And so it's not this, I condemn you and curse you. Um, and I'm still working through, do I, how much do I believe um, that analogy? I thought it was very helpful to me. Um, but I... I do take great peace in looking back at the fall in um, Genesis 3, where 
man has decided that I'm going to decide good and evil for myself. God shows up and he's obviously hurt by what has happened. He's angry, but he doesn't curse man. He says, here's the consequence for what you've decided to do, that this is a place where you and I lived together and I am holy and apart from you. And now you cannot be near me. And your realm and my realm will now be separate forever. Hmm. And it's not that this is a curse. It's you did this to yourself. Right. This is what's happened to you. You stuck your hand in the fire. It got burned. I didn't burn you. You burned yourself. Um, but having that understanding of God starts out with man. The first thing he does is blesses him. When man decides not to obey God and trust him and accept that blessing and decides good and evil for himself, God punishes him, but more in a way of saying, this is the consequence for your actions. You've brought this on yourself. In that story, the one thing or person or character that does get cursed is the snake, the evil. And God points out that that there is an end that is coming for you that is planned and I've got it set up where you are going to be ended. Right. And he never says that to man. He says, more or less, your life is going to be hard. I'm still going to be there for the most part. That your life, you're going to, I'm not going to kill you. You're going to go off and you're going to have a hard life. Um, but you'll continue to multiply. You'll have kids. Um, and so that, that blessing almost still goes with them, um, now diluted, but still is there. Um, and that it still points back to Jesus, though, and saying, I've got a plan to rescue this and to bring you back to restore all of this, to heal all of this. But if you would have had a healthy fear of me in the beginning, this could have all been avoided. Right. Yeah, which I think brings us back to where we started and takes us to a place where I think it's very good to end, in which ultimately the fear of God is good. If I want people listening to this to walk away with anything, it's that. When we hear, hey, you have to fear God, or when we see the disciples fearing Jesus, we get the sense of, oh man, there's now distance being created between the disciples and Jesus, or, you know, we fear God and that doesn't make me feel all fuzzy and happy inside. Right. I think when you sit down and you think about it, it makes sense. And I think one of the one of the places that we've continually arrived through this conversation that we've had is fearing God is good. And again, that's that's not a that's not a something that we intuitively think of and intuitively arrive at. But I think when you start looking at scripture, when you start thinking about it, when you start discussing it, fearing God is a good thing. And I think it's something that we need to grow in. I think it's a perspective that I think we need to preach, talk about, study more. Yeah. Because it is a crucial part of our walk with God. Because it doesn't negate the, the power or the love that's displayed in the cross at all. Right. Uh, in fact, it, it makes it even more it powerful. It. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. 
And uh, with that thought, uh, we are going to close this podcast. Uh, again, thank you so much for listening. So follow us on social media at EtherMMC, anywhere we are on social media. And also, we are able to do this through your support. Thank you so much for listening. And I guess we'll catch you on the next one. Bye.